This episode was recorded live at the 2023 AIGA Design Conference in New York. Debbie Millman, host of the Design Matters podcast, chair of the master's program in branding at SVA, and president emeritus of AIGA, facilitated a conversation with five female partners of Pentagram, who have just released a book celebrating 50 years of the world's largest independently owned design firm. Now over to Debbie. On Monday, June 12th, 1972, architect Theo Crosby, graphic designers Alan Fletcher, Colin Forbes, and Mervyn Kurlansky, and industrial designer Kenneth Grange founded the design firm Pentagram. All five founding partners were leaders in their field with a successful practice, but they all believed that they could do better work as a group in a larger setting. They established a unique, non-hierarchical structure that preserved the autonomy of each of the partners while also encouraged collaboration and a sharing of resources. From the moment the partners of Pentagram opened their doors 51 years ago, the firm was successful from the start. In the five decades since, Pentagram has displayed an unprecedented and enviable longevity. With offices now in New York, in Austin, in London, and Berlin, the partnership has renewed itself over and over over the years. Half a century later, they are the largest independent design firm in the world, wholly owned by the partners. Now, I'm using the word design firm here very specifically, as each of the partners of Pentagram have always been working designers. Pentagram actually restricts its ownership only to designers. And I can confidently say that Pentagram restricts its ownership to only the most exceptional designers in the world. If we were to go back in time to 1972 and survey the design scene on this planet, the only design firm still operating at the highest levels today with the same operating principles is Pentagram. And in the book they've just published, surveying all of the partner's work over the last 50 years, Adrian Shaughnessy poses this question in the preface. So how does a design group retain relevancy? In truth, very few manage this beyond a decade or two before being acquired by a larger group, or as Colin Forbes noted, disappearing with the departure of the founders. For most others, it is a slow descent into irrelevancy and eventually closure. Pentagram, by contrast, a full half century after its inception, is still with us. And Pentagram is more relevant than ever. The five partners here with us today, Natasha Jen, Georgia Lupi, Emily Oberman, Paula Scher, and Marina Willer, are doing some of the best work of their careers. 
whether it is Paula's global Shake Shack identity, her city logo, her longtime campaigns for the public theater, Emily's titles for Saturday Night Live, her identity for Amazon Prime or Warner Records, George's work with the Gates Foundation and her groundbreaking data visualizations for Google or Moleskin, or Natasha's work for the Beyond Borders, Waze, or the New York Botanical Garden, or Marina's work with MTV, Serpentine Galleries, or Ferrari. These five women have not only designed some of the most ubiquitous graphic design on the planet, they have literally raised the standards of all designers everywhere. Right? So today, for the first time ever, Natasha Jen, Georgia Lupi, Emily Oberman, Paula Scher, and Marina Willer are here together on the AIGA main stage to talk about a legacy 15 year, 50 years in the making, 5-0. Please join me in welcoming Natasha Jen, Georgia Lupi, Emily Oberman, Paula Scher, and Marina Willer to the AIGA stage. Ladies, come on out. <laughs> Ladies, my first question is an easy one, and it's for all of you. I generally don't like to do all of you questions, but this one I think is a fun one. How long have you been at Pentagram, and which office do you work in? Natasha, we'll start with you. I've been at Pentagram uh, for 11 years now, and I'm based in New York City. Uh, I'm Georgia. I've been at Pentagram for four years, and I work out of the New York office as well. I'm Emily Oberman, and I've been at Pentagram for 11 years, and I'm in the New York office. I'm Paula Scher, and I've been at Pentagram for 33 years, and I am in the New York office. And I'm Marina. I've been um, at Pentagram for 11 years in London. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Paula, my first question now is for you. Colin Forbes was the architect of the Pentagram business model, and it's remained relatively unchanged since 1972. Uh, why does it work so well for you as an organization? Uh, Colin Forbes uh, organized a business that was based on human nature and the way people behave in groups. And he knew that a bigger, the bigger the group, the more likely there would be not the conflict of two partners in a fight, because it would be uh, sort of mitigated by the fact that there were other people around, uh, that triangles don't work, um, they usually fall apart, and that the growth of the firm would be based on the notion of like-minded people being able to come into a situation of sharing and understanding relative equivalency, which means that not, every, not everybody does the same thing well, not everybody designs the same way, not everybody has to be the same kind of person, but if you make the assumption that everybody is say equal, and the say is important because it doesn't actually compute necessarily in all things, that the likelihood is that the group would get along. And in fact, that works. In your new monograph, Adrian Shaughnessy writes that Pentagram has lasted as long as it has because of its unique partner-owned business model 
and a ferocious commitment to creative excellence. Can you, Paula, can you talk a little bit about the partner-owned business model and how it was created? Well, the uh, history of Pentagram was really, there were three uh, original partners, uh, and the business was called something else. It was called uh, Fletcher Forbes Gill. Bob Gill was a partner for about one year and left because he actually didn't like sharing. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to share. It's good to be the king, but he wasn't, and he left. Uh, then... <laughs> Paula is nothing if not candid. <laughs> Then there was, then there was um, Crosby Fletcher Forbes, which is uh, Theo Crosby joined, and he was an architect. And rumor had it that Bob Gill asked Theo how long it took to build a building. And uh, Theo said, oh, about four years. And, and uh, Bob said, that's too long to wait for a proof. So he left. <laughs> then, uh, after uh, three years, uh, Mervyn Kurlansky became a partner, and he was actually an associate of Alan Fletcher. He was promoted internally, but they didn't put his name on the firm because it was a long Jewish name, and they didn't want it on the firm. After that was, uh, um, I was a short name. <laughs> uh, after that, uh, uh, Kenneth Grange joined, and he insisted his name be on the firm. So they went out on a partner's meeting. They had a big fight about it. Alan was reading a book on black magic, and he said, let's, let's name ourselves Pentagram. Ah, so and that is true. That's what happened. I love it. Um, we know so much about so many of your groundbreaking successes, your multi-decade partnership with the Public Theater, the High Line here in New York City, the Library of Congress, your work with Planned Parenthood, and so forth. Do you ever find yourself working on projects that frustrate you? And if you do, how do you manage? Well, about once a week. <laughs> See, I think it's important for people to hear Pentagram is on such a pedestal for so many of us that I think it's really kind of comforting to know that you have some of the same problems that we do. Well, everybody has those problems. Some. <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody who has suffered through uh, problematic jobs and clients join the club. Um, I'm going to ask uh, the rest of the partners sitting on the stage a couple of questions each so you can get to know them a little bit. And then I'm going to ask questions to whoever wants to answer on stage. Um, Marina, before joining Pentagram, you were the head creative director at Wolf Olin's in London. What was it like making the transition from Wolf Olin's to Pentagram? And what were the biggest differences you encountered? It was really liberating. It was the best thing I've done. It was a bit like going back to college, but with, of course, the pressure to do work of the caliber of everybody else around you and to build a business. Um, I just felt that I could really go back to being hands-on. I think when you are in a bigger agency for a while, you get more and more removed from some of the work and it, it gets very frustrating and politics and all of that. So I won't lie, it's very hard work. And I think that's what everyone's referring to. We all have to deal with difficult situations, uh, clients between us as well, making sure you know we, we, we get on as a family. But it's the best thing I've done. And I really enjoyed it. I've, I still enjoy it after 11 years. And I think what is amazing is that it attracts, we attract work 
that is related to our own personalities and the things we're passionate about. So the brand pentagram is celebrated by all of us, but it's also not hiding any of us. We, you know, we people come and, you know, we have clients coming directly to us all the time. And, and the more you do some kind of work, the more um, people get to know you for that. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think the structure, going back to your first question, is really fundamental to this success of it because we are all like little startups and we all really hands on uh, the design and the creation of everything. But we also are the sum of the parts and, and that's so magical. Marina, the finances that you all share are really transparent. So you're seeing everybody's P&L. Do you ever feel competitive? So in London, until very recently, I was the only female partner. I think we all work, you know, psychologically it feels different. Uh, I never feel like that's a problem, but I can see that for some of the male partners, it's a bit more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, sometimes, both if you are leading, you feel like you, I'm bringing so much more money than everybody else. I don't know if you know, but we all earn the same as partners. We are cooperative and we are very transparent with our numbers. But I think that, um, yeah, I think everyone's a bit different, but either if you're doing really well, it's hard to see if some other people are doing quite badly. And the other way around, you know, of course, you, you put pressure on yourself to do, to do well. So it's difficult, but it's also fascinating. And the, the idea that we are in it together is what, get, I think you have to be uh, someone of a certain kind to want to work together and, and, you know, still very focused in your own direction, but it's a collaboration and we're building a thing together. And, and if you don't enjoy that, it's not the right place. It seems like it's a little bit terrifying to have to be measuring up to other great designers that you're working with. Um, but I understand what you're saying in terms of seeing both sides. My wife thinks that I'm a bad winner and a bad loser. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a sore loser because I hate losing, but I'm also a sore winner because I hate when somebody else loses. And so I never I really ever feel good. I have, <laughs> I have twins and they, they, we live in that drama because they're always upset, either because one, the one who did well is upset because he feels guilty. And then the one who didn't, you know, so it's constant. Exactly. It's a very strange way to, so we coexist and you have to, you know, learn. It's, it's very interesting. Your first feature film, a biographical documentary titled Red Trees, premiered at the 2017 Cannes Film Festival and was released worldwide by Netflix in 2018. So you are able to work on more personal projects as well as more corporate projects. And is that evaluated in the same way? I think we all do have passions and people, you know, some of the partners write books, uh, also, some of the partners are incredibly talented painters and many things. Red Trees was done within the, the model of Pentagram and, and it was, we had a, we were very lucky. We started as um, uh, doing a crowdfunding, but we got a producer that 
Paula introduced me to, who then was, you know, hiring us to do the job. So it wasn't like I was, I was able to do that within the structure of Pentagram. And I think we are always very interested in stretching and not only thinking about new media, but also thinking about the issues around the world and, and having an impact in that. I think we belong to a generation that is still very utopian and wanting to do things that hopefully help to change the world. And we all do in different ways. Will we be seeing more feature films from you? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Emily, you've been at P Pentagram now for 11 years. Uh, last year, when you won the AIGA Lifetime Achievement Medal, you talked about how you've had three chapters to your career. First at Emin Company with Tibor Kalman, then as one of two partners with Bonnie Siegler at number 17. Before going to Pentagram, you told me that your fantasy was to have your third chapter at Pentagram and you achieved that. Why Pentagram as opposed to continuing on your own? Oh, because I did not want to figure out how to like set up a copier. <laughs> like, like I didn't want to figure out how to rent one or how to like do, like seriously. Um, no, also because that like I knew that I would be inspired by my design heroes and my friends. I had, my parents were designers and artists, so I had known about Pentagram my whole life. I admired the work. I wanted the camaraderie. I am not a lone wolf. I did not want to work on my own. My husband is a lone wolf, so I know what that looks like. I am not that. I am very inspired by collaboration, by having other humans around me, whether it's my team or my partners. I really thrive on other ideas being, you know, uh, being said or, you know, feeding. I feed on other ideas. I yeah. either make them better or other people make my ideas better. I knew that I needed that. Um, and so, and then of course, Pentagram was just the pinnacle for me. And having known Paula and Michael for so long and seeing them just thrive and expand and do incredible work, I thought that this would be a way for me to continue to learn and continue to be a sponge and continue to get better and be able to do work that was bigger and more. And I just felt like it was a way to, I don't know, to just keep, keep learning and keep doing and expand what I could do. You've been working on the opening titles for Saturday Night Live now for 30 years? 27, 27, if I do the math properly, but okay. <laughs> How do you keep a client surprised and delighted and excited for that long? Um, I don't just, uh, it's, it's sort of a it's, a, it's a, it's like a school challenge because the challenge is to keep it new and different and sort of the same at the same time, which is a really interesting problem. That's something that Lauren Michaels wants it to be. Like he wants it to be familiar, yet different. Um, and it's something I think about because I think Michael's been doing something similar with the Yale posters all these years. Like you have to sort of reinvent that 
idea. Yeah, Paula's been doing it with the public. And Paula's been doing it with the public. And so we try to always have a story, even though maybe you don't know what that story is when you see the titles, but there's always a story that relates to that moment in time when we're asked to reinvent the titles. So you sort of have to put yourself in the mindset of what's happening in New York and in the country at that time and think about the world, the zeitgeist, the mindset. And then you sort of think about what's interesting you or your collaborators. The past few times I've been collaborating with Mary Ellen Matthews, who you just recently interviewed for Design Matters. She's a photographer. She's been the photographer at SNL for many years. And so you have to sort of think about what's new and different and change it enough. And you have to sort of, I don't know, there has to be a certain love, I think, for the content or the story, for the, the story that you want to tell. Like I sort of always go into it with this like desire to reinvent it, this like sheer love of the show, the cast, the city, all of those pieces that come together. I, I just, I want to find a new nuance for that same thing. It's a challenge that I, I enjoy. So it helps to want to do it. The show has been on hiatus because of the writer's strike, and tonight it's back on the air after, what, four or five months? Five, yep. Yeah. Um, Georgia. Adrian Shaughnessy stated in the monograph that mythology states that it takes seven years for a new partner to be fully established. You joined Pentagram in 2019. That's four years. How's it going so far? <laughs> <laughs> Not fully established yet. Um, no, it's, it's been going really, really great. Um, I don't come from a traditional graphic design background. Um, some of the first images that you've seen on screen, it's some of the work that we've done that uh, primarily revolves around representing data and telling stories with data. Um, but really, Pentagram for me and for my team, I hope so too, it's been an incredible platform to sort of like broaden the language of data in a way, um, expand upon how as opposed to seeing data only on analytic applications and more, I don't know, business to business um, sort of Again, application, we could see it in the way that um, you know, we wear something or we look at a campaign or even we buy a product. And so really expanding the way that data can tell stories in what we use and consume every day. Um, I think on the other end also, maybe from the Pentagram perspective right now, virtually every client that Pentagram has deals with data, communicates with data to their customers. Um, and so hopefully, you know, being able to integrate the way that um, data is represented to the broader way that a brand communicates can also be something um, exciting. Now, I think I've been trying to also find my way to fit in, again, um, I think ultimately I see myself as a designer, even though the output might look a little different. Um, so it's been, it's been really great so far. And of course, um, I've, I've been learning a lot. Before you joined, um, I had spent several years interviewing you about different projects over the years. Um, I was thrilled to hear the news that you were joining Pentagram. And I guess I was projecting my own nervousness into your new situation <laughs> when I asked you, were you terrified? And you said you weren't, um, mm -hmm. that you were really excited. Um, 
And was there ever a time where you worried about being able to make it? Um, well, as you asked at the beginning uh, to Marina, the financial challenge is not a banal challenge to have, but I think that the very supportive spirit of the partnership makes you feel less scared about it. You know, they tell you from the beginning, everybody has a bad ear. Don't worry if you are in the red. You are going to be the person that's going to be most worried about your red numbers, and red numbers mean like you're not breaking even and you're making it. Yeah. Um, so. No, I mean, to be really honest, I think I've been always seeing Pentagram as an amazing platform to try and experiment and hopefully to bring something to the partnership. And um, I used to run a company before, so there's that. Probably I was also used a little bit to having business challenges. Um, I No, I wasn't terrified. I don't think I was. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Uh, um, you work doing data visualization, and that is unique to pentagrams um, and, and to the disciplines within the firm. Do you collaborate with other partners, or do you do most of your work on your own? Like the other partners, um, I've been. We've been collaborating recently, uh, even more so than in the beginning. I I would say that probably the 70% of the work that we do with my team, we're on our own. But like right now, we're collaborating with Natasha, for example. Uh, I've collaborated with Matt, with Michael, um, and other teams too. And what we're, when we're collaborating, most of the times, we're uh, working as an extension of the brand identity. And so looking into the way that um, data visualization can become a signature for the company itself. So for example, for a client that we can't really name right now, Natasha's doing a whole um, rebranding and brand architecture work. Uh, and what we are collaborating with Natasha um, about with this client is actually translating the brand attributes and the messages that Natasha has been designing into the way that they work with data. But not only stylizing charts, but really helping them understand what are the stories that they're going to tell with data and how can we really bring data visualization almost as being as important as typography or a logo um, for them. And I think this is mostly what we collaborate about. And I think it's pretty complementary since um, it can be plugged in and integrated. And um, I think as Emily, I really, really thrive collaborating. So that was also something that excited me about joining Pentagram. One of the common denominators of the successful partners at Pentagram is a sort of polymathic way of operating in the world. So not only do you have different disciplines within design or art that you're good at, you're also, for the most part, very good speakers, very much um, high contributors to the dialogue about design. Natasha, you gave a groundbreaking talk in 2018 that really sent ripples through the entire design community and the branding community and the advertising community. And it was called Design Thinking is Bullshit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, I, and I really, it's funny, I was talking, when I was talking to Ivy, I was thinking about her notion of design feeling versus design thinking. Um, that talk really put the brakes on a whole way of working that designers had been engaged in for quite a long time. What motivated that talk? What gave you the sense that this was the moment to sort of drop the mic and state the obvious? 
Mm, good question. Well, um, when when design thinking first came out, um, I, I was I, I was intrigued by it. I think just like you know um, any designer, because um, it it came out in such a uh, definitive way, and um, it also felt incredibly distant from uh, how I was taught as a designer and um, how I was working. Um, so there's that kind of you know tension there. So I I try to understand it, and of course that process really took me several years. You know, I remember the first time that I encounter uh, encounter design thinking was probably around like 2009 or. 2010. Okay, um, that was when uh, a lot of courses, okay, online courses became available. Yeah, you know, so I saw that design thinking was becoming mainstream. So my talk came out around uh, was it 2018, 2019, 2018, right? You know, so as you can see, that it it really took me that many years to to try to put up with it <laughs> until the point that I just really couldn't take it anymore. I felt that. And I, I was also uh, a little surprised by that designers who who didn't agree with it were all putting up with it. Okay. I, I was talking to some designers, you, you know, because it's like, yeah, it's like why, why, why make trouble? Right. Yeah. You know, so I, I felt that I really had to just say some, something, you know, um, so that's, that, that, that's how I decided to make a talk out of it. It was a short talk, I think 15 minutes, um, in total. Yeah. Well, Ted talks now or 12. It, it was so. a quick, and she's a brilliant strategist. So quick, quick. Talk. I'm surprised. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, is there any other jargon-filled methodology you have disdain for? Uh, well, I have to say, you know, our industry, um, the, I think that, you know, our, our branding industry is also an industry that we're really good at creating uh, jargons. Um, and yeah, you know what I'm talking about. No offense, guys, right? You know, and that's really sort of what we do for a living for you know, um, I, 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 I find it, um, I, I find, I find myself at this point where I'm questioning a lot of things. I'm questioning about my role in, um, in how we, how we create work as an industry. I find my, I, I, I am at a point where I'm questioning my industry. Um, um, I, I, so again, you know, it, I, I don't know, maybe I have this sort of, you know, flipping point once every eight years, maybe, I don't know, okay? I feel like I'm sort of at that at that point um, again. But yeah, you know, um, jargons and basic, basically things are not very helpful to, the, the world and to the situations that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Emily talked a little bit about how she's been able to deliver work to Saturday Night Live over 27 years. You've talked about how you look for the sweet spot between inventive and appropriate. Hmm. How do you do that and how do you know when you found it? Oh, that's interesting. Well, I, I think that most clients want something. Um, they want things that, that are transformative nowadays. And you hear that word a lot, okay? And I can't, I know, Paula, I, I can't guarantee anyone that our work would transform 
anything. I, I think that's very pompous to say. And I think that's very pompous for this industry to declare that we were able to transform X, Y, Z. I yeah, think that's Forrest being, was talking exactly, about that that's earlier. Exactly. That's very pompous. That's a very pompous point of view. Yeah. Arrogance, right? Um, but I, to, to be appropriate is to create something that people can grasp onto, meaning that still feels familiar. But if everything is merely familiar, you end up with mediocre work, meaning everybody is doing more or less the same thing. And that can be decent, decent thing. So what we're trying to do always is to figure out how to be inventive, how to be novel, um, at, at, at the same time. And that novelty, again, has to be disguised in a way that is understandable by clients, by people. So you see, there's a little bit of that Trojan horse game that we have to pe play in, in, in our work. Yeah. Well, talk about that. And I'd love to hear from any of the other partners in terms of what you, of how you sell in great work, the disguise or the Trojan horse or the platter, however you do it. Um, why do you feel like it's a disguise? Uh, based on my experience, you know, uh, that if you go in with something that, again, it varies on a client. Sometimes the clients will make it very clear to you about they're looking for something entirely new and they're very open. But most people are not trained that way where they don't right. have that mindset, right? So figuring out their psychology, I think up for, a little bit more upfront is important. And I have to say, I'm not the best salesperson. I think that here at Pentagram, we, 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 sell where we persuade and we present our work very, very differently. And that's sort of the wonderful thing about us is that we're, we're, we're sort of like a collective um, where we come together and we share, you know, the same mindset, but ultimately we're so radically different. For example, you know, Michael um, is one of the best presenters, one of the best salespeople. With everything. I think unanimously we can agree, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Natasha, there yes. were times when I was in a pitch against Michael and I was like, forget it, there's no point. Yes, Michael can talk, Michael can talk any anyone into anything in the best way possible yeah. right but 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 we all have our own way of yeah of, of speaking to clients and bringing them on board yeah we, we're different I, I imagine I've never I don't think I've ever seen you pitch to a client but I have always imagined that you would be Freaking fantastic at it. Like I really, I, oh, I look hear at the smile. It's so awesome. To hear you say that you're not good at it uh, is like shocking to me. Like, well, I just, uh, I, I, I want to be modest, you know. Like, <laughs> when, when our Why? industry, say, when our, right, when our industry say, is pompous, I, I want to be pretty good I at be it. Like I modest. think that we're all like, I think that we all have our strengths, and I think that we all are pretty good at the way we talk. To clients, but I've just yeah. always imagined that you're like a killer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and and this one. Well, I don't. I don't. There's I, like yeah. She I doesn't mince words. There's like I can't sell, she, but I can teach. And that's what? what I do. I what? can't. No, she, no, no, no. But she'll Paula, teach. So Paula teach. teaches and sells at the same time. Right. So she'll teach a client why this thing yes. is the right thing to do, and there's no bullshit. Like there's just for that. Mm, like, and I've been in. I've been in the room for that, and it's amazing. The thing is that you find out that really what you want to be doing, I think, is is to raise the expectation of what something can be. 
you know, you might be going in certain industries, you might be going from here to there, and in other industries, you may be making a slight shift. And it really depends upon the industry and what the market will bear with that person. And that in that, I find that in that space, if I can explain to him or her how, or them, <laughs> mostly them, how something can go up a notch, that's, that's sometimes that's as good as it gets. But still, it can be extraordinary in certain areas and less extraordinary in areas. Like if you take, you take a giant corporate structure, it's extraordinary. If you take the public theater, it's not extraordinary because you're dealing in two different realms of expectation. That's all. And I think that's, that's always the safe thing that we all can do is sort of gauge what is in front of us and how much you really can move it. Mm. Otherwise, you're just frustrating mm. yourself, I think. I think we also, if you take the client on the journey with you, so we work through what the problem really is and the might not be design thinking, but there is some kind of a need to change something. That's why they came to you. And if you really understand that, you start to shape and the design designs itself. And if they come with you in that, they know you're doing that with, you know, to respond to something quite strategic uh, and they were involved. So to me, that's how it works best. So there isn't a ta-da moment so much. It is it's a gradual journey. Uh, there's still excitement and, and, you know, when they start to see visual things and language, but it's, it's very participative and, uh, and I think that's important, but I know we're all different. Yeah. I Oh, sorry. I was just oh, going to no. actually say that I, what I've learned in four years of Pentagram is that like, I think we're really all different into how we are in the room with a client to, for lack of a better word, sell something. I remember in the beginning, because um, Michael was um, who brought me in, I was in a few meetings with Michael. And of course, I was so fascinated by his capacity to be, I don't know, Don Draper, like <laughs> completely. And I was trying to figure out, okay, I have to just like go and just like tell to the client, I think you need these because, but then I realized I'm never going to be Michael Beirut. And so I went back to finding my own way to perhaps throw a bunch of ideas. How if you do that? And if you do all of that, um, and I think finding your way to be just like true to what really makes you passionate about your work in the way that you sell it to your client um, without just thinking that you should be somebody else is also something important. Uh, and I would say, <laughs> that's Michael. <laughs> I would say the thing that's true of all of us that sort of goes back to the design thinking is bullshit is that we're always, everything that we do comes from a place of truth. Like I don't, I think all of us, and that goes for all the Pentagram partners, like we're all, we're all designers. We're not marketing people. We're not salespeople. That's what comes from a design agency or a design studio that's built from creative people. We are all doing the work on, based on the ideas and the work that we sell to the clients all comes from what we think is the best and most truthful solution for all of them. So it's not that we're trying to sell them an idea. It's that we're trying to find the best solution for them always and explain it in a way that feels right for us in terms of how we explain it and for them in what it, what it is and what they need. Like we're never 
greenwashing or whitewashing or anything. We're not cynical. We're not cynical. We're always coming at it from a place of humanity and, and reality for the client. It's ne we're never, we, don't, we won't even take a job if we don't yeah. feel like we can come at it from, from a place that is real. Marina, Marina said that Natasha is an incredible strategist. How did you learn to be strategists with your first discipline all being design? Because that's all something we need to do now. I think it's always part of the design work. I think that design is planning. I mean, when you make a plan, you have to have a strategy. That, that's, that's part of in, inherent in creating the work. You do it unconsciously sometimes when you sit down and find out what somebody needs or what they think they want. And you start to think, oh, well, perhaps we should be talking to them in this direction or showing them something in that direction because it's a natural part of the process. When you have to pull back from it and create an order about it, I have problems with that. That's difficult for me because I don't think that logically. I think too quickly so that actually having to deconstruct it and write it down for me is very difficult. Where I think Natasha is brilliant in making sort of the organization and structure that's right on right, right showable to the client that you present. I almost, I'm amazed about that. I can't do that, that very well. And was that something that you developed over time? Was it something you learned in school? Was it something you learned by osmosis from working with others? Talk about how you built that piece of your business? Mm -hmm. Well, the thing about um, brand, brand strategy or brand positioning is that it can take on so many different forms, right. okay? And you do see that a, uh, certain agencies um, codify it in, in a way that has become very predictable. But, and, and school doesn't, schools don't teach you uh, brand strategy. There isn't like a real, you know, I think that SVA, yes, SVA has, 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 has programmed, yeah. but we, I, what we, I'm we saying is that it's a, it's a very new. I teach. It's a very <laughs> new, yes, yay! <laughs> Um, it, it, it's new, and uh, I, I, I just I, I, I picked it up, um, you know, from the job. You know, I picked it up uh, from the the really incredible uh, strategist uh, who I've been working with. Um, there's a handful of them, and uh, we we you know we uh, we motivate each other, we inspire each other, and um, there are certain. Um, lenses that they tend to use that I pick up and you know again it's, it's sort of like learning yeah just something that you learn along the way but I think that it's something that you gotta enjoy first mm -hmm. just yes. like anything just it's, it's like anything right yeah. you know you, you gotta enjoy this yeah thing. there's a beauty to it, it if you right really and then love you get better doing. at it and it's a kind of fulfilling uh, it feels fulfilling but you know uh, I, I, I enjoy it yeah as much as, as, as design yeah. yeah, but I agree with Paula that it is, at its sort of core, a plan. Right, absolutely. And, yeah. and we all, I mean, a bunch of us do a lot of strategy as yeah, well. Yeah, I know. Because, I think because we all really like language as much mm. as we like design. I think it's all strategy. I don't, I don't, I don't think that, that, oh, it's written down on paper and we're going to make a, 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 a you know, a, a show of it and show it and that therefore that strategy because it's in that form. I think that 
understanding what somebody needs to happen and what the possibilities are are the first thought. And then you, then you write the guide plan of how to get there. And that, that, that's the second part of the thought. But if you don't have an idea, you have no strategy. Well, I think that's also a common denominator over the decades. Pentagram has always had good ideas that you've been able to bring to life with exceptional design. We look at Alan Fletcher's work, um, the master of it, mm -hmm. the initial fast idea. If you read his book, The Art of Looking Sideways, which is still in print, you'll, you'll learn more about design thinking than you will from any other treatise. And can I say something, Paul? I think we never talked about it when you say planning, uh, but in Italian, which is my first language, design, the translation would be an in-between of plan, like planning and making. Right. So oh, wow. itself, and what is that word in Italian? Progettare, which is like truly like making through planning or planning while mm. making. I suggest you trademark that. Yes. <laughs> um, there is something about the insight of what is it that an organization needs to do as as its position, that angle, that is a very creative job, but it has nothing to do with visuals. It's, it's what you have to establish first and being able to get there. So when you rebrand a very big organization, like when we had to do the, the Naturalist Museum recently in London, it's so specific, the combination and the conjunction of things that has to come through in the design whether it's a symbol, whether it's a badge, what it needs to say, how it sits with words, how it works as a logic. But also the first thing we said is this is a catalyst for change. So it behaves in a certain way, it ripples. There was an agency before working on it for a year and they came up with a deck that was very long and some puns. You can do that and call strategy, but it doesn't mean anything. And when we start to think about it, you know, the answer to, and what was the problem in the first place and what are the dimensions of the problem? So I think it, to me, it's not just planning actually, it's, the, it's having the insight of what the position is that is going to stand out against everything else that exists and is starting to exist as well with AI. And, uh, so I, th I find that a very creative part of the job, but it has nothing to do it, sometimes you then already know what it's going to look like, but it's more uh, about a vision. Part of the way in which Pentagram has been able to be so competitive over the 50 years is the ability of the firm to bring in new people every couple of years. For all of the young, aspiring designers in the audience that might have a dream about one day joining Pentagram, how does that work? Uh, you see people's work, you meet them, and you talk to them. Um, we met uh, so many people over the years from the AIGA conference. I mean, you see somebody speak, uh, we saw Marina speak at Aji and chased her down the aisle. <laughs> it's absolutely true. I heard that story, yes. My Paula. First, you have to work really, really fucking hard for many, many years. That okay. too. <laughs> and then, once you become a pentagram partner, you still 
have to work really, really, really frigging hard for many, many years. <laughs> but you have to love it. Yes. yes. You have to love it. Otherwise, there's no point. And that is true for pretty much everything. Paula, my last question is for you. You joined Pentagram in 1991 as the first female partner. And it was quite a long time before any other women were invited to join. Not as long as it looks. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there were two women in New York um, who, who uh, one who didn't work at all and another one who uh, stayed, I think, maybe seven years, eight years, I can't remember. You, you're kind of making my point for me. Well, um, well, the men don't work either, you know. <laughs> well, well, what's... It's just more of them. We don't have a lot of time, but I'd love to get a sense very quickly before my last question to understand why don't some people work out? Is it because they're not work, working hard enough? Is it because they're resting on the pentagram laurels or think that... Just give us a, a sort of understanding of why it... Well, all... all remember my the, point? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> all... all all people come in, um, and we're, we're always optimistic about it. And um, some people have trouble building businesses. Some people have trouble sharing within a group. Some people uh, are arrogant, you know, and, and disrupt the group. I mean, there there can be all kinds of reasons that a that a partnership doesn't work, and it's no different from anybody else's partnership, really. And uh, in, the, in the realm of the amount of people who have joined and stayed, uh, I think the, it's something like 75% or, or so, which is a pretty high average when you consider the amount of small design firms that start and stop and don't, don't work out. And there, as I said, they're really, you know, 50 years is a long time for a firm to be able to do it. And it has to do, it has to do with the, the the selection of the partners and the formula of the uh, place in terms of how you have to accept sharing, which is very hard. At the beginning of this session, I talked about the origin of Pentagram, five men. Now, I'm sitting on a stage with five women. Natasha Jen, Georgia Lupi, Emily Overman, Paula Cher, Marina Willa. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you do in design and the world. Debbie Millman. Debbie Millman. Changing the world one woman at a time. I'm going to ask uh, Bobby and team to come and join me. Bobby and Jennifer and Lisa and Michael. Right, and sure. ladies, thank you so much.